0: section 27 of the history of lady julia mandeville this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the history of lady julia mandeville by francis brooke section 27 epistle colonel to colonel belville wednesday 3 o'clock I really cannot help feeling prodigiously foolish about this marriage. It is a thousand to one, but I retreat yet. Prepare yourself for a disappointment, for I am exceedingly on the capricioso. Oh, heavens, I forgot to tell you. An old matchmaking lady in the neighborhood, having taken it into her head I have a passion for Harry Mandeville, and designing to win my heart by persuading me to what she supposes I have a mind to recommended him strongly to me last night for a husband i heard her with the utmost attention and when she had finished her harangue blushed looked down hesitated and denied the thing with so pretty a confusion that she is gone away perfectly convinced i am to be lady anne mandeville and will tell it as a secret all round the country i am not sorry for this as it will take away all suspicion of what is really intended and secure what secrecy we wish on the occasion. The good old lady went away infinitely delighted at being possessed of a quality secret, which in the country gives no little importance. Pleased, too, with her own penetration in discovering what nobody else has suspected, I cannot conceive a happier being than she is at present. I have just received from town the most divine stomacher and sleeve-knots you ever beheld. An interesting event— Yes, creature, and what I can plead authority for mentioning. Did not Mademoiselle, Princess of the Blood of France, granddaughter of Henry the Great, write some half a dozen volumes to inform posterity that on Saturday the 14th of November, 1668, she wore her blue ribbons? Surely you men think nothing of consequence but sieges and battles. Now, in my sentiments, it would be happy for mankind if all the heroes— "'who make such havoc amongst their species, "'merely because they have nothing to do, "'would amuse themselves with sorting suits of ribbons "'for their ladies. "'I am in the sweetest good-humour to-day "'that can be imagined. "'So mild and gentle you would be amazed. "'A little impatient indeed for the evening, "'which is to bring my charming Harry. "'I have been asking, my lord, how, "'with Harry's sensibility, "'they contrive to keep him so long "'free from attachments.' in answer to which he gave me the enclosed sketch of a letter from Colonel Mandeville to a lady of his acquaintance at Rome, which he said would give me a general notion of the matter. EPISTLE THE COUNTESS To the Countess Melesbini, Paris, June twenty fourth, 1759 Madam, you will receive this from the hands of that son I have before had the honour of recommending to your esteem. I HAVE ACCOMPANIED HIM MYSELF HITHER, WHERE, BEING PERFECTLY SATISFIED WITH HIS BEHAVIOUR, AND CONVINCED THAT GENEROUS MINDS ARE BEST WON TO VIRTUE BY IMPLICIT CONFIDENCE, I HAVE DISMISSED THE tutor I INTENDED TO HAVE SENT WITH HIM TO ITALY, SHALL RETURN TO ENGLAND MYSELF, AND DEPEND FOR HIS CONDUCT ON HIS OWN DISCRETION, HIS DESIRE OF OBLIGING ME, AND THAT NOBLENESS OF SENTIMENT WHICH WILL MAKE HIM FEEL THE VALUE OF MY FRIENDSHIP FOR HIM IN ITS UTMOST EXTENT. I have given him letters to the most worthy person in every court I intend he should visit. But, as my chief dependents for the advantages of this tour are on the Count and yourself, I have advised him to spend most of his time at Rome, where, honoured by your friendship, I doubt not of his receiving that last finishing, that delicate polish, which I flatter myself, if not deceived by the fondness of a parent, is all he wants to make him perfectly amiable." to you madam and the count i commit him defend him from the snares of vice and the contagion of affectation you receive him an unexperienced youth with lively passions a warm and affectionate heart an enthusiastic imagination probity openness generosity and all those advantages of person and mind which a liberal education can bestow i expect him from your hands a gentleman a man of honour and politeness, with the utmost dignity of sentiment and character, adorned by that easy elegance, that refined simplicity of manner, those unaffected graces of deportment so difficult to describe, but which it is scarce possible to converse much with you without acquiring. Sensible of the irresistible power of beauty, I think it of the utmost consequence with what part of the female world he converses, I have from childhood habituated him to the conversation of the most lovely and polite amongst the best part of the sex, to give him an abhorrence to the indelicacy of the worst. I have endeavoured to impress on his mind the most lively ideas of the native beauty of virtue, and to cultivate in him that elegance of moral taste, that quick sensibility, which is a nearer way to rectitude than the dull road of inanimate precept. Continuing the same anxious cares, I send him to perfect his education, not in schools or academies, but in the conversation of the most charming amongst women. The ardent desire of pleasing you, and becoming worthy your esteem, inseparable from the happiness of knowing you, will be the keenest spur to his attainments, and I shall see him return all the fond heart of a parent can wish, from his ambition of being honoured with your friendship." To you, madam, I shall make no secret of my wish, that he may come back to England, unconnected. I have a view for him beyond his most sanguine hopes, to which, however, I entreat he may be a stranger. The charms of the lady cannot fail of attaching a heart which has no prepossession, from which I conjure you, if possible, to guard him. I should even hear with pleasure you permitted him, to a certain degree, to love you, that he might be steeled to all other charms. If he is half as much in love with you as his father, all other beauties will lay snares for him in vain. I am, madam, with the most lively esteem, your obedient and devoted J. Mandeville. Oh, heavens, whilst I have been writing and thinking nothing of it, the pavilion, which it seems has been some time prepared, is raised opposite the window of the saloon at the end of the walk leading to the house. We are to sup in it this evening. It is charmant. The sight of it and the idea of its destination makes my heart palpitate a little. Mon Dieu, that ever I should be seduced into matrimony. Farewell, for an hour or two. You have no notion what divine dresses we have making for the masquerade. I shall not tell you particulars, as I would not take off the pleasure of surprise, but they are charming beyond conception. Do you not dote on a masquerade, Belleville? For my own part, I think it is the quintessence of all sublunary joys. And without flattering my lord's taste, I have a strange fancy this will be the most agreeable one I ever was at in my life. The scenes, the drapery, the whole disposition of it is enchanting. Heavens, how little a while will it be that I can write myself A. Wilmot, Epistle George, TO GEORGE MORDON, ESQUIRE, WEDNESDAY MORNING. AFTER FOUR DAYS passed in ANXIETY NOT TO BE TOLD, THIS ARDENTLY EXPECTED MORNING IS COME. I EVERY MOMENT EXPECT, MR. HERBERT. I TREMBLE AT EVERY SOUND. ANOTHER HOUR, AND THE HAPPINESS OF MY WHOLE LIFE WILL BE FOREVER DETERMINED. MORDON, THE IDEA, CHILLS MY SOUL. IT IS NOW A WEEK SINCE I HAVE HEARD FROM BELMONT, NOT A LINE FROM EMILY HOWARD OR LADY ANNE the unhappy have few friends. Lord Melvin is the minion of fortune. He has taken my place in their esteem. The time is past, and my friend is not here. He has, therefore, no letters from Lord Belmont. I rated his disinterestedness too high. Misled by the mean, despicable maxims of the world, he resents my passion for his daughter. He gives her to another, without deigning even to send me an answer." he might surely have respected his own blood my soul is on fire at this insult his age his virtues protect him but lord melvin let him avoid my fury yet am i not too rash may not some accident have retarded my friend i will wait patiently till evening i cannot believe lord belmont may he not have seen me and suspecting some clandestine design yes my folly has undone me WHAT CAN HE THINK OF SUCH A CONCEALMENT? MORDON, I CANNOT LIVE IN THIS SUSPENSE. I WILL SEND WILLIAM THIS MOMENT TO BELMONT. FIVE O'CLOCK. WILLIAM IS COME BACK, AND HAS THROWN ME INTO DESPAIR. YES, MY FRIEND, IT IS NOW BEYOND A DOUBT. LADY JULIA IS INTENDED FOR LORD MELVIN. THE MOST SPLENDID PREPARATIONS ARE MAKING. ALL IS JOY AND FESTIVITY AT BELMONT. A WRETCH LIKE ME IS BELOW THEIR THOUGHTS. "'Messengers are hourly coming and going from Lord Rochdale's. "'It is past, and I am doomed to despair. "'My letter has only hastened my destruction, "'has only hastened this detested marriage. "'Overawed by paternal authority, she gives me up. "'She marries another. "'She has forgot her vows, "'those vows which she called on Heaven to witness. "'I have lost all for which life was worth my care.' mordon i am no longer master of myself lord melvin is this moment gone past to belmont dressed like a youthful gay and burning bridegroom his eyes sparkle with new fire his cheek has the glow of happy love this very hour perhaps he calls her his this very hour her consenting blushes the idea is insupportable first may the avenging bold of heaven "'But why supplicate Heaven? "'My own arm, I will follow him. "'I will not tamely resign her. "'He shall first—yes, through my blood alone. "'What I intend I know not. "'My thoughts are all distraction.' "'Epistle Colonel. "'To Colonel Bellville, seven o'clock. "'We expect the Caro Enrico every moment. "'My chariot is gone for Emily Howard and my niece. "'Lord Melvin, too, comes this evening by my permission.' lady julia has just asked me to walk with her in the park she wants to hear me talk of harry whom she cannot mention herself though her thoughts are full of nothing else her color comes and goes her eyes have a double portion of softness her heart beats with apprehensive pleasure what an evening of transport will this be why are you not here belleville i shall absolutely be one of the old people to-night can you form an idea of happiness equal to harry's raised from the depth of despair to the fruition of all his wishes i long to see how he will receive the first mention of this happy turn of fortune but lady mary has reserved all that to herself adieu great god to what a scene have i been witness how shall i relate the shocking particulars lady julia and i were advanced about a quarter of a mile from the house blessing providence and talking of the dear hope of future happy days. She was owning her passion with blushes, and all the tremor of modest sensibility, when we were interrupted by the clashing of swords behind some trees near us. We turned our heads and saw Lord Melvin, distraction in his air, his sword bloody, supporting Harry Mandeville, pale, bleeding, motionless, and to all appearance in the agonies of death lady julia gave a shriek and fell senseless in my arms my cries brought some of the servants who happened to be near part of them with lord melvin conveyed harry to the house while the rest stayed with me to take care of lady julia harry was scarce out of sight when she recovered her senses she looked wildly towards the place where she first saw him then starting from me raising her eyes to heaven her hands clasped together oh belleville never shall i lose the idea of that image of horror and despair she neither spoke nor shed a tear there was an eager wildness in her look which froze my soul with terror she advanced hastily towards the house looking round her every moment as if expecting again to see him till having exhausted all her strength she sunk down breathless on one of the seats where i supported her till my lord's chariot which I had sent for, came up, in which I placed myself by her, and we drove slowly towards the house. She was put to bed in a burning fever, preceded by a shivering, which gives me apprehensions for her, which I endeavoured to conceal from the wretched parents, whose sorrows mock all description. My lord is just come from Lord Melvin, who insisted on being his prisoner till Harry was out of danger, Disdaining to fly from justice since my lord refuses his stay at Belmont, he entreats to be given into the hands of some gentleman near. My lord has accepted this offer, and named his father Lord Rochdale, for the trust. He has gone under the best guard, his own honour, in which Lord Belmont has implicit confidence. I have been into Lady Julia's room. She takes no notice of anything. Emily Howard kneels weeping by her bedside. Lady Belmont melts my soul when I behold her. She sits motionless, as the statue of despair. She holds the hand of the lovely daughter between hers. She presses it to her bosom, and the tears steal silently down her cheeks. Unable to bear the sight, I am returned to my apartment. Oh, Belleville, how is this scene of happiness changed? Where are now the gay transporting hopes which warmed our hearts this morning?' I HAVE WITH DIFFICULTY PREVAILED ON LADY MARY, WHO droops UNDER THIS WEIGHT OF AFFLICTION, AND WHOSE YEARS ARE ILL-SUITED TO SCENES OF HORROR, TO SET OUT THIS EVENING FOR HER OWN SEAT, MY NIECE, WHOSE SORROW YOU MAY EASILY IMAGINE, IS TO ACCOMPANY HER THITHER. IF MR. MANDEVILLE DIES, MURDERED BY THE HAND OF HIM WHOSE FATE HERS IS CONNECTED, NEVER MUST SHE AGAIN ENTER THESE HOSPITABLE DOORS belleville how is the gay structure of ideal happiness fallen in one moment to the ground the messenger who sent to lord Tees is returned and has brought my lord's letter he went from thence to mr herbert's where mr mandeville was supposed to be but found nobody there but a servant from whom he could get no information the family had been gone five days to london being sent for express to a relation who was dying "'Oh, Belleville, how many accidents have conspired! "'I myself have innocently contributed to this dreadful event, "'misled by my lord's equivocal expressions, "'which seem to point so plainly at Lord Melvin. "'If he dies! "'But I will not give way to so shocking an idea. "'The servant who went for a surgeon is not yet returned. "'Till his wounds are examined, "'we must be in all the torture of suspense and apprehension.' 11 o'clock the surgeon is come he is now with mr mandeville how i dread to hear his sentence the door opens he comes out with lord belmont horror is in the face of the latter oh belville my presaging heart they advance towards me i am unable to meet them my limbs tremble a cold dew belville his wounds are mortal the pen drops from my hand. A farmer's son in the neighborhood has just brought the enclosed letter for Mr. Mandeville, which, not knowing the consequence, my lord has opened. End of section 27 Recording by Jadopi www.publicdomainaudiobooks.blogspot.com